Chapter twenty one of the Arabian Nights Entertainments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan at AntipodeanWriter.wordpress.com. The Arabian Nights Entertainments by Andrew Lang. Chapter twenty one. The Sixth Voyage. It must be a marvel to you how, after having five times met with shipwreck and unheard of perils, I could again tempt fortune and risk fresh trouble. I am even surprised myself when I look back, but evidently it was my fate to rove, and after a year of repose I prepared to make a sixth voyage, regardless of the entreaties of my friends and relations who did all they could to keep me at home. Instead of going by the Persian Gulf, I travelled a considerable way over land, and finally embarked from a distant Indian port with a captain who meant to make a long voyage. And truly he did so, for we fell in with stormy weather which drove us completely out of our course, so that for many days neither captain nor pilot knew where we were, nor where we were going. When they did at last discover our position we had small ground for rejoicing, for the captain, casting his turban upon the deck and tearing his beard, declared that we were in the most dangerous spot upon the whole wide sea, and had been caught by a current which was at that minute sweeping us to destruction. It was too true. In spite of all the sailors could do, we were driven with frightful rapidity towards the foot of a mountain which rose sheer out of the sea, and our vessel was dashed to pieces upon the rocks at its base, not, however, until we had managed to scramble on shore, carrying with us the most precious of our possessions. When we had done this, the captain said to us, Now we are here, we may as well begin to dig our graves at once, since from this fatal spot no shipwrecked mariner has ever returned. This speech discouraged us much, and we began to lament, over our sad fate the mountain formed the seaward boundary of a large island and the narrow strip of rocky shore upon which we stood was strewn with the wreckage of a thousand gallant ships while the bones of the luckless mariners shone white in the sunshine and we shuddered to think how soon our own would be added to the heap all around too lay vast quantities of the costliest merchandise and treasures were heaped in every cranny of the rocks but all these things only added to the desolation of the scene. It struck me as a very strange thing that a river of clear, fresh water, which gushed out from the mountain not far from where we stood, instead of flowing into the sea, as rivers generally do, turned off sharply and flowed out of sight under a natural archway of rock. And when I went to examine it more closely, I found that inside the cave the walls were thick with diamonds and rubies and masses of crystal, and the floor was strewn with ambergris. Here, then, upon this desolate shore, we abandoned ourselves to our fate, for there was no possibility of scaling the mountain, and if a ship had appeared, it could only have shared our doom. The first thing our captain did was to divide equally amongst us all the food we possessed, and then the length of each man's life depended on the time he could make his portion last. I myself could live upon very little. Nevertheless, by the time I had buried the last of my companions, my stock of provisions was so small that I hardly thought I should live long enough to dig my own grave, which I set about doing, while I regretted bitterly the roving disposition which was always bringing me into such straits, and thought longingly of all the comfort and luxury that I had left. But luckily for me, the fancy took me to stand once more beside the river where it plunged out of sight in the depths of the cavern, and as I did so an idea struck me. 
this river which hid itself underground doubtless emerged again at some distant spot why should i not build a raft and trust myself to its swiftly flowing waters if i perished before i could reach the light of day once more i should be no worse off than i was now for death stared me in the face while there was always the possibility that as i was born under a lucky star i might find myself safe and sound in some desirable land i decided at any rate to risk it and speedily built myself a stout raft of driftwood with strong cords of which enough and to spare lay strewn upon the beach i then made up many packages of rubies emeralds rock crystal ambergris and precious stuffs and bound them upon my raft being careful to preserve the balance and then i seated myself upon it having two small oars that i had fashioned laid ready to my hand and loosed the cord which held it to the bank once out in the current my raft flew swiftly under the gloomy archway and i found myself in total darkness carried smoothly forward by the rapid river on i went as it seemed to me for many nights and days once the channel became so small that i had a narrow escape of being crushed against the rocky roof and after that i took the precaution of lying flat upon my precious bales though i only ate what was absolutely necessary to keep myself alive the inevitable moment came when after swallowing my last morsel of food i began to wonder if i must after all die of hunger then worn out with anxiety and fatigue i fell into a deep sleep and when i again opened my eyes i was once more in the light of day my beautiful country lay before me and my raft which was tied to the river bank was surrounded by friendly-looking black men i rose and saluted them and they spoke to me in return but i could not understand a word of their language feeling perfectly bewildered by my sudden return to life and light i murmured to myself in arabic close thine eyes and while thou sleepest heaven will change thy fortune from evil to good one of the natives who understood this tongue then came forward saying my brother be not surprised to see us this is our land and as we came to get water from the river we noticed your raft floating down it and one of us swam out and brought you to the shore we have waited for your awakening tell us now whence you come and where you are going by that dangerous way i replied that nothing would please me better than to tell them but that i was starving and would fain eat something first i was soon supplied with all i needed and having satisfied my hunger i told them faithfully all that had befallen me they were lost in wonder at my tale when it was interpreted to them and said that adventures so surprising must be related to their king only by the man to whom they had happened so procuring a horse they mounted me upon it and we set out followed by several strong men carrying my raft just as it was upon their shoulders in this order we marched into the city of serendib where the natives presented me to their king whom i saluted in the indian fashion prostrating myself at his feet and kissing the ground but the monarch bade me rise and sit beside him asking first what was my name i am sinbad i replied whom men call the sailor for i have voyaged much upon many seas and how come you here asked the king i told my story concealing nothing and his surprise and delight were so great that he ordered my adventures to be written in letters of gold and laid up in the archives of his kingdom presently my raft was brought in and the bales opened in his presence and the king declared that in all his treasury there were no such rubies and emeralds as those which lay in great heaps before him seeing that he looked at them with interest i ventured to say that i myself and all that i had were at his disposal but he answered me smiling nay sinbad heaven forbid that i should covet your riches i will rather add to them for i desire that you shall not leave my kingdom without some tokens of my good will 
he then commanded his officers to provide me with a suitable lodging at his expense and sent slaves to wait upon me and carry my raft and my bales to my new dwelling-place you may imagine that i praised his generosity and gave him grateful thanks nor did i fail to present myself daily in his audience chamber and for the rest of my time i amused myself in seeing all that was worthy of attention in the city the island of serendib being situated on the equinoctial line the days and nights there are of equal length the chief city is placed at the end of a beautiful valley formed by the highest mountain in the world which is in the middle of the island i had the curiosity to ascend to its very summit for this was the place to which adam was banished out of paradise here are found rubies and many precious things and rare plants grow abundantly with cedar trees and cocoa palms on the seashore and at the mouths of the rivers the divers seek for pearls and in some valleys diamonds are plentiful after many days i petitioned the king that i might return to my own country to which he graciously consented moreover he loaded me with rich gifts and when i went to take leave of him he entrusted me with a royal present and a letter to the commander of the faithful our sovereign lord saying i pray you give these to the caliph harun al-rashid and assure him of my friendship i accepted the charge respectfully and soon embarked upon the vessel which the king himself had chosen for me the king's letter was written in blue characters upon a rare and precious skin of yellowish color and these were the words of it the king of the indies before whom walk a thousand elephants who lives in a palace of which the roof blazes with a hundred thousand rubies and whose treasure-house contains twenty thousand diamond crowns to the caliph harun al-rashid sends greeting though the offering we present to you is unworthy of your notice we pray you to accept it as a mark of the esteem and friendship which we cherish for you and of which we gladly send you this token and we ask of you a like regard if you deem us worthy of it adieu brother the present consisted of a vase carved from a single ruby six inches high and as thick as my finger this was filled with the choicest pearls large and of perfect shape and lustre secondly a huge snakeskin with scales as large as a sequin which would preserve from sickness those who slept upon it then quantities of aloes wood camphor and pistachio nuts and lastly a beautiful slave-girl whose robes glittered with precious stones after a long and prosperous voyage we landed at balsora and i made haste to reach baghdad and taking the king's letter i presented myself at the palace gate followed by the beautiful slave and various members of my own family bearing the treasure as soon as i had declared my errand i was conducted into the presence of the caliph to whom after i had made my obeisance i gave the letter and the king's gift and when he had examined them he demanded of me whether the prince of serendib was really as rich and powerful as he claimed to be commander of the faithful i replied again bowing humbly before him i can assure your majesty that he has in no way exaggerated his wealth and grandeur nothing can equal the magnificence of his palace when he goes abroad his throne is prepared upon the back of an elephant and on either side of him ride his ministers his favorites and courtiers on his elephant's neck sits an officer his golden lance in his hand and behind him stands another bearing a pillar of gold at the top of which is an emerald as long as my hand a thousand men in cloth of gold mounted upon richly caparisoned elephants go before him and as the procession moves onward the officer who guides his elephant cries aloud behold the mighty monarch 
the powerful and valiant Sultan of the Indies, whose palace is covered with a hundred thousand rubies, who possesses twenty thousand diamond crowns. Behold a monarch greater than Solomon and Mirage in all their glory. Then the one who stands behind the throne answers, This king, so great and powerful, must die, must die, must die. And the first takes up the chant again, All praise to him who lives for evermore. Further, my lord, in Serendib no judge is needed, for to the king himself his people come for justice. The caliph was well satisfied with my report. From the king's letter, said he, I judged that he was a wise man. It seems that he is worthy of his people, and his people of him. So saying, he dismissed me with rich presents, and I returned in peace to my own house. When Sinbad had done speaking, his guests withdrew, Hinbad having first received a hundred sequins. But all returned next day to hear the story of the seventh voyage. Sinbad thus began. End of the Sixth Voyage, read by Nathan and Laurie Ann Walden